Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm Nicholas Gordon, host of the Asian Review Books podcast, Declaration for the New Books Network. In this podcast, we interview fiction and nonfiction authors working in, around, and about the Asia-Pacific region. When the two immigrant parents in Zeno Sorter's latest illustrated book go to the baker asking for a cake for their son, the baker asks for something different instead of money. Five centimeters should do it, said the baker. Your height, of course. That starts the story of My Strange Shrinking Parents, a tale that connects to immigration, parental sacrifice, and the changing perspective that comes with growing up. Zeno Sorter is a writer and artist who lives in Melbourne, Australia, and is also the author of This Small Blue Dot. Today, Zeno and I talk about immigrant parents, the use of height as a symbol, and what's different about creating an illustrated book like My Strange Shrinking Parents. So, Zeno, thanks for coming on the show today. Maybe let, let's start with a, with, a, with a basic question. What drove you to write My Strange Shaking Parents in the first place? Uh, thanks, Nick, and thanks for having me on the program. Um, I guess the starting point for the book was really I set out to make a fairy tale but woven together with some of my own experiences growing up. Um, I come from immigrant parents. My mom is from China and my dad is from England. And I was raised in quite a small country town in Australia called Bendigo, and I was actually born at home uh, on a futon mattress. And the reason for that is that when my sister was born, my older sister, uh, two years before me, uh, she was born at a hospital, and when the doctors delivered her, uh, they felt that her skin was a little bit um, yellow and potentially jaundiced. Um, And so against my mother's wishes, who felt that she looked perfectly normal, they placed her in an incubator. And when my mother was physically able to, she jumped out of bed and kind of took my sister from the the incubator and fled. Uh, And so growing up, I think me and my sister both felt a little bit out of place in this town that was very predominantly um, Anglo-Saxon. There weren't any other Asian families. And, uh, and so I kind of made this book as the map that I needed as a young child who felt lost and out of place. And it touches on quite a few issues, namely um, immigration and growing up with immigrant parents. But I would say the heart of the book is about ideas of love and belonging and how as we grow older, those ideas can also change so that um, things that we may be embarrassed or ashamed of when we're children uh, can become things that we hold quite dear to ourselves and who we are uh, as we become adults. So the kind of core conceit of the book is that is that these parents, rather than paying for things like cakes or school uniforms um, with money, they pay for it with their height. Um, so they give up their height over as 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 their son is growing up. Um, you know, why did you decide to use, I guess, height as as the symbol for for the act of parenting, as as the thing that these parents are quote unquote paying, um, as they're as they try to raise their son. Uh, that that idea actually came from a few places. I think growing up, I was always fascinated with how love is represented in particularly art and image making. Uh, and within children's picture book, it's it's quite uniform. It's usually um, shown through hugs and kisses and bright saturated colors and starlight. And 
Um, that wasn't necessarily true to my own childhood. I, uh, my mother was, had quite a traditional upbringing, quite an austere upbringing. And, um, and I remember going to primary school for the first time and seeing, um, children saying goodbye to their parents and getting these, you know, big hugs and kisses on the cheek. And after a while I had to pull on my mother's top and say, you know, mum, you have to give me and a hug and a kiss before I go into class every day. And she did that for many years for, for a long time uh, because I'd requested her to do it, but it wasn't something that came naturally to her. But reflecting on my childhood, I never had any doubt that she loved me or that she loved me any less. If anything, she loved me more than the other children and the relationship they had with their parents. Uh, but when I was in university, I, I studied uh, Mandarin and there was a distinction that uh, the Chinese teacher made that I'd never heard before. It's probably familiar to many of your listeners, but the distinction was that, um, that Asian parents show love through uh, food, whereas Western parents are comfortable showing their love through uh, hugs and affection. And that immediately rang true to me. Uh, namely because in pretty much everything my mother did, I could see the love that came through. And it wasn't just food or preparing the dishes that we liked to eat the most. It was more so whether we were in a restaurant or at home. As soon as a meal was served, she would go through it with a, you know, chopsticks and pick out the best parts of each dish and put them in my sister's plate and my plate. And so... When it came to this story and wanting to show a different type of love that wasn't necessarily the bright colours and the and starlight, um, I thought that the sacrifice that our parents make, particularly immigrant parents, um, would be a good metaphor to show that. Um, and it would allow me to explore a, a quieter type of love that I think is larger than the kind of the more showy and, and loud affectionate love that is that is more prevalent in, in children's storybooks. So, you know, d does it matter that the family in your book is an immigrant family? Is there something about immigrant parents that make them a good set of characters for this book as opposed to a family in, in their own country, whether that's a country in in asia or the west or, or or whatever that's that's an interesting question i think that uh i guess to begin with the the story i wrote the story because it's a it's a story that that connects deeply with me and and that's the emotional journey that i'm familiar with but beside that i think that there is something there is something about immigrant stories where there is a level of um, sacrifice and resilience and tenacity just naturally built into those stories. Um, and aside from that, the thing that interested me is, um, is there's an intergenerational story to be told as well, where the parents and the child aren't necessarily involved in the same realities to the same degree. And growing up, when I, uh, we, we left Bendigo when I was a teenager and we moved to a larger city called Melbourne. 
and we moved to an area uh, outside what are known as the Public Housing Commission flats, which is essentially subsidised housing. And for the first time, when we moved to that area, I met children who had names that were just as strange and as foreign as my name. And I was able to spend time with a lot of immigrant kids from many, many different backgrounds, and they're still some of my best friends today. But spending time with them and their families, um, one of the things that struck me is was regardless of how different we were culturally or the values that our parents were imparting to us, um, there was a very strong commonality in the way that our families functioned, the priorities that our families had. And that immigrant story kind of forms the basis of this story. And I was conscious when I was making it of to not make it too specific to my own circumstances, but try to broaden it so that other people from from different cultures would be able to read themselves into it as well. Thought about with with shrinking parents' idea, it, it seems also gets to like the idea of growing up. You know, as as you grow, as you grow in size and in age, your parents do seem smaller. But the image of the drinking parents to me also felt like a metaphor for kind of growing up. Yeah, I think that's I think that's spot on. There's um, one of the things that fascinates me is uh, is kind of this uh, a type of symmetry to uh, to a human life, uh, and I think this is. Um, talked about a lot. Um, I know my mother talks about it a lot uh, in Asian culture with the idea that we're taken care of by our parents when we're young with the, you know, with the hope, I guess, that when our parents become older, that we will be there to similarly take care of them. And there's a poem that I love uh, by an American poet called Tony Hoagland. Um, and I can't remember, I, I believe in the name of the poem is called Lucky. And it's a very emotionally complex poem, but um, at its centre is this relationship that he has with his elderly mother and of him having to bathe and feed her in her older years and, and what he's feeling in that he's effectively repaying the debt that he owes her for, for raising him so well. Um, and so with this story, uh, which is largely about cycles and cycles of love and the reciprocal nature of love. Um, I wanted to embed that message in the story. And I've tried to do it in a few different ways. Um, and one of the benefits of, of having an illustrated story is that one of the ways I was able to do it was by mirroring the composition of the artwork so that not many people pick up on this, um, but I'm hoping that there is perhaps some kind of, you know, deeper awareness of it at a subconscious level, that at the beginning of the story, there are pages of the parents taking care of the child. And then at the end of the book, those compositions are effectively mirrored to show that the, the child now taking care of the parents. Well, I mean, let's get into that a little bit. I mean, there's, there's this, there's this idea um, and whether or not it's how much it's really based in fact. But there's this idea that family culture in Asia, in East Asia, is much more focused on intergenerational support. Um, you know, parents investing in their children, sacrificing for their children, uh, the grandparents taking care of their children's children so the grandparents stay home while the parents work, uh, then children taking care of older generations in in their old age, 
Um, and there's a, I'm sure there's a big debate about, about how Asian that really is, how true it really is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I guess in, in kind of thinking about your book, how much did you want to, um, I, I guess, refer to that idea of, of that kind of intergenerational support? Um, that's, that's actually, that's, I, I grew up in a, uh, in a, at many, many times our grandparents would come and live with us. So we had a three generational household and I absolutely loved it. Um, and so that that type of family dynamic, I think in my mind, it is very Asian. Um, when I finished university, I, I've had quite a varied career before I got into picture books. And one of the careers I had was I worked as a uh, consul officer for the uh, Australian Consular General in Shanghai. And at that time, um, I opted to live in a more local apartment building. Um, and we were surrounded by the type of dynamic that you were talking about with the grandparents taking care of the younger children. Um, and so to my mind, it, it is quite an Asian dynamic and it is still something that is, um, is quite prevalent today. My own experience of that dynamic was that it actually gave me a snapshot of the entirety of a human life. Um, I think for a lot of children nowadays, they're quite removed from those later years. Um, and there's obviously an incredible amount to learn from somebody who is experiencing kind of the latter part of their life and what their concerns are and what they're thinking about. Um, but beside from that, I think the, the thing that I took most from it was my grandmother thought, my Chinese grandmother, she thought on a different scale of time than my parents did and than what I think most young people do. And that is that she was a very enthusiastic gardener. And I remember her planting um, apricot trees. And this is when she was already past, you know, 80 years of age. And, uh, and she would plant these trees and, and she would often say to us, you know, I'm planting these trees, not so that I can benefit from the fruit, but that, you know, you will be able to, to see these, these plants fruit and your children and, and hopefully your, your grandchildren will. Um, and, and that's, that was, you know, a different, a different take on life than, than what I'd seen previously. So I, I, we were talking before, before this interview, and, and you mentioned that you were at the Hong Kong International Literary Festival. Um, and you mentioned that there was a lot of interest in talking about how the, um, how books like yours, how books like uh, My Shooting Shooting Parents um, are a way to kind of help children understand these sorts of questions and, and these sorts of issues. Um, I wonder if I might get, it, get up a bit, get into that a little bit, and kind of how, like, I, I guess how literature, how illustrated books um, can help kind of grapple with these kind of tough questions that maybe children don't have the vocabulary to talk about at, at, at the age they're at. Yeah, it was, it was really fascinating being at the uh, literary festival. One of the subjects that came up, which I think a lot of people who love books are talking about at the moment is this idea of bibliotherapy. Um, and that it's, I guess, an expanding field uh, that's supplementary to the work that a lot of counsellors are doing. And the idea is that if somebody is facing a particular problem or a particular issue in their life, 
then they will be uh, prescribed a, a reading list um, of authors and books that kind of tackle this issue head on. And the idea is that it reading that kind of work removes the person from their direct issue and allows them to view it from a different perspective, a more removed perspective, uh, which can not only be cathartic, but can also help them understand the different dimensions of the problem and, and, a, and a better way to tackle it. And um, this hasn't really been spoken a lot with children's literature, but I have noticed with children's books, uh, a lot of them are very issues-based and therefore, for example, anxiety, um, grief, ADHD. And the way that I know a lot of parents uh, use books and, and a way that a lot of uh, bookshop sellers will kind of um, recommend books to, to parents um, is that they provide them as a starting point. So say, for example, uh, a loved one has recently passed. Um, a parent will read a book about grief and then having the book, the book having broached the subject and kind of opened up that emotional territory, the other uh, child will then feel a little bit more comfortable talking about it um, and sharing their inner world and, and their feelings uh, with their parent or guardian. Uh, and so I think that, you know, it's, it's hugely beneficial to, to not only adults, but um, children as well. And I have noticed that with children's book, there's a lot more diversity in the issues that they're tackling, which is, which is fantastic to see. Um, and with this book as well, um, what I'm hoping to address is uh, children who feel out of place or a little bit strange, as I did with a child. And I hope that it, it reaches other children who may be in a similar position. Um, and hopefully it, it will make them feel a little bit less lonely by, by reading that book. Yeah, and, and this gets at something else that's that that's in your book that I just remembered. Um, is the sense that the that the child, the, the the son, feels guilty about the parent sacrificing sacrificing so much? Um, and of course, that's also uh, that's also because the the child is himself bullied from other students from well from his peers and classmates about what his parents are doing. Um, and so I wondered, maybe just kind of the last question on on the story of the book itself, um, how did you see kind of guilt and I think undeserved guilt playing into uh, this this conversation? Um, I think that uh, it's it's an interesting question. The One of the benefits of the book is that it takes place over a large span of time. And so we're able to see how the child's feelings develop and I know that as a child and now having children of my own that that desire to fit in to be just like everybody else is so crushingly overwhelming when you're young and that was one of the things that I was trying to get at and and broach that that subject um and as a young child I did feel um I did feel that the only thing I wanted to be normal, that I didn't want to have the strange name. I didn't want to have, I didn't want to have the mixed background for the longest time. I tried to uh, convince my family members to call me Kyle instead of Zeno. Um, but unfortunately it never stuck. Um, 
and what happens is as you get older and um, you define yourself more in relation to other people you meet and what you think is is valuable uh often you will you know take those things that you were embarrassed by and find new meaning in them and that certainly happened for me um and that that happens for the character in this book but with a lot of my friends as well who came from you know sri lankan lebanese costa rican turkish greek backgrounds from all over the world growing up in australia they all felt that that instinct when they were young to just want to fit in to just want to eat vegemite sandwiches like all the other children you know to be terrified having to open up their lunchbox at lunchtime worried about what their mum had packed them that day um and so yeah it's 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 a really interesting subject and uh and i hope i've kind of done it some justice it i've really only touched on it briefly in the story um but i think it could be a much longer story that that a lot of children will be able to relate to well i think the the last question i want to ask on the book and you know i think unlike a lot of books we do on the show um your book is an illustrated book these has these great pieces of of artwork um throughout throughout my strange tricking parents and i guess to end i want to just ask about the 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 process of writing um, an illustrated book like yours and how that maybe differs from what people might think the process of writing a book purely in prose would be. Yeah. During the, uh, the, during the, the literary festival, I was on a panel with some other children's book writers and illustrators. And one of the uh, subjects that came up was about the illustration of, of children's books and the writer um, who was present, who, who was a lovely man. He, he mentioned that he actually felt a little bit sorry for illustrators because the, um, the, the, the concentration is really on the text and the text drives the story forward. Um, whereas the illustrations are really glanced over. They're not lived with for an extended period of time. Um, and, and I actually, I, I said that, um, I, I actually felt that the writers had the harder job because with text it has to pass through the conscious mind, which can be a lot more critical. Uh, whereas with illustration, a lot of what you do um, can touch on the reader's emotions uh, in a much more visceral and immediate way. Um, and an example, I think when you watch a movie, music, can play kind of a similar role in that you don't always notice it's there, but it is guiding your emotions throughout, you know, the whole experience. And with, uh, with illustration, I guess, just as a quick example with, um, with the illustrations, I tried to introduce a lot in the backgrounds and a lot of metaphor and a lot of symbols that, I don't necessarily expect the reader to pick up on, um, but I'm hoping that it it is reaching them, I guess, like I said earlier, at a slightly deeper subconscious level. Um, and an example of that is with the parents uh, who are farmers in this story. They're always drawn in natural environments. Um, and if they're not in a natural environment, if, for example, they're at the principal's office in school, 
uh, that office is drawn with green hues uh, to show that it's a comfortable place for them. And then midway through the book, there's a break where I want the reader to think that perhaps things aren't as comfortable as we thought they were. And to show that in an illustrative sense, I kind of removed all the nature and all the green and had them on a stark grey street side um, with these large figures um, looming over them. And it's quite a monochromatic drawing. Um, and so even though the text may not be saying something has clearly changed here and, and the book is kind of shifting gears, um, I am able to do that through the illustration and the way that the characters are portrayed and the way that the world is portrayed. Well, I think that's a great place to end our conversation with Zeno Sorter, author and illustrator of My Strange Shrinking Parents. Uh, Zeno, I do actually have two final questions for you, which are, uh, where can people find your work and what's next for you? What might the next project be? Um, my, uh, my first answer, where can people find my work? Um, I think within Asia, I know within Hong Kong, my books are available through, um, Bookazine and, um, some other bookstores and plus in Hong Kong as well. Um, and online, I think through Amazon and other online retailers, um, they are available too. Uh, in terms of what's next, I'm kind of dabbling in a huge range of things. There's um, the possibility of My Strange Shrinking Parents being turned into a short animation film, which we're currently exploring. Um, and I've been a little bit slack that uh, I have started work on another picture book. Um, and I'm hoping that that will be wrapped up in potentially a year or two. I work extremely slowly, uh, so it, it does take me a while, but I'm hoping it'll be on bookshelves in, in one or two years. Well, I look forward to, to hearing more about it. You can follow me, Nicholas Gordon, on Twitter at Nick R. I. Gordon. That's N-I-C-K-R-I-G-O-R-D-O-N. You can go to AsianReviewOfBooks.com to find other reviews, essays, interviews, and excerpts. Follow on Twitter at BookReviewsAsia. That's reviews plural. And you can find many more author interviews at the New Books Network and NewBooksNetwork.com. This podcast, the ARB Podcast, is on all of your podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Rate us, recommend us, share us with your friends to support us interviewing those writing in, around, and about Asia. Stay tuned for info who's coming up on the show. But before then, Zeno, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you.